Well, you'd think I was going to preach a long time. I got a lot of material out here. You know, last week we talked about it, and it's, it's just going over and over in my mind, but I want to continue on with this, uh, what the Lord is, was speaking in my heart. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we ask you just to plant it deep within our heart. You said your word you have put in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one that puts it in our heart. And we thank you, Lord, for that fresh word you put in our heart. Jesus' name, amen, amen. Colossians chapter 3 says here, wow, verse 8, But now that you put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, say new man, which is renewed, exchanged, into knowledge after the image of him that created him. Into the very image. You've been recreated into the very image of him. The image of him. Where there is, now catch this. There is neither Greek nor Jew. Neither Gentile or Jew. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all and in all. There's neither Gentile nor Jew anymore. It's just one new man. One new man. One union of one new man, which the new man is what? Christ. Christ is the new man. And he says, put on, therefore, as the elite of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, longsuffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above everything. Put on agape, charity, which is the bond of peace. It's the thing that holds everything together. Paul said, the love of God constrains me. The love of God keeps me from flying apart. Give me an amen. We judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. And they that live should no longer live for that old self that's been crucified. But for him that died and rose again, therefore we don't know any man after the old self. Because you're a new creation in Christ. One new man in Christ. We call that union, don't we? You know, it's reading in his presence, E.W. Kenyon. And we hit a thing a couple of days ago. and It's called fellowship. He's going to hit fellowship. But you know what? We was talking about it in coffee ship, in coffee shop. You know, he said to the Corinthians, God is faithful by whom you were called into, say into, the fellowship of his son. You've been called into the fellowship of his son. That's what God wants for us is fellowship, relationship. That's his whole purpose that we have fellowship. And in, in 1 John, it says, that which we've seen and heard we declare unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ the righteous. So we've been called into that union of fellowship. You know, that's what this whole thing of Christmas is all about. God so loved us that he sent his Son as a gift to us so we could have fellowship with him again. He longs for an unbroken fellowship with him. And that's why he chooses to forgive your sin and not remember it anymore because he don't want anything separating our fellowship with him. 
First John says, if you walk in the light, as he's in the light, you have what? Fellowship, one with another. And the blood of Christ cleanses you continually from all sin. How much? Continually. It's a continual cleansing all the time. You can't get out of the, from out of the spout where the glory comes out. Continually flowing on you. Continually. And it's fellowship. He says fellowship is based upon righteousness. We have the very righteousness of God in us. Fellowship means sharing together. Marriage is a good illustration. He says it's a partnership and it is a merger. It's getting under the burden as one. And you know what does it say to us in Galatians? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right? He says it's an equal exchange of both giving their best. Another word that it suggests is communion, common union, okay? That means two, now catch this, talking about a marriage, two are pouring into the same cup. You got a cup here and a cup here, that's vessels, and you pour the contents of that vessel into one cup. And those two vessels become of no use anymore because they're all into one new man. So making peace. And he says, the two pouring into the same cup, they become perfectly one in the blending, just as God says, the two shall become one flesh. They become one flesh. But Jesus says, we become one spirit in him. That is fellowship. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Our fellowship with the Father is based upon relationship. Fellowship between husband and wife is based on relationship. Fellowship is one thing that makes married life beautiful. The law that binds men and women together does not make fellowship. You can go to the courthouse and get married. Legally. But that doesn't make you in union. Only he can do that. Only he can do that. Good? Good? Good. Ephesians chapter 2. You know, it's hard to tell whether this is anointing or vertigo. (laughs) They kind of both feel the same. (laughs) Maybe it's just because, maybe I just thought it was. (laughs) Mm. Feels kind of like. (laughs) Ephesians 2 yeah verse 11 wherefore remember that ye being times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands made by what that at times you were without Christ being alien from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in this world. But now, say now, now. in Christ, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. I don't want us to go past that. Jesus doesn't just give us peace. He is our peace. We are living by the peace of another. All right? Who had made both one, 
and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That word is hostility. It's hostile. The enmity, even the law and the commandments contained in the ordinance. The law in the flesh was ordinance to make in himself of the two one new man so making peace. The word peace, two, bringing the two together. That word peace in the, in the Greek is irene, irene. And it's symbolic of a broken bone that has two parts. It's broken. And when those two bones come back together, it's called peace. They come back into oneness. See, that's what's happened to us. Joy to the world. Peace. Goodwill towards all. Because God is bringing the sun so we can have peace in this world. You know, the world will cry, peace, peace. There'll never be no peace in this world. It says only Christ is the one that gives you peace. And it's the, it's the peace that passes all understanding. Amen? All right. That he might exchange, that's the word reconcile, both unto God into one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, saints, this is not something that we're going to hope for someday. You've got to get this. Oh, yeah, someday it's all, we're all going to be in union. We're going to be one. No. We are already one new man in Christ. Jew and Gentile is one in Christ. Now, the Jews and the Gentiles, every one of them is going to have to come the same way you did through the blood. Because it's only in Christ that we're made one new man. The Jew and the Gentile are still alive and well out in the world. But in Christ, he's taken the two, poured them together in a whole brand new race of people. Jesus was the last Adam, and he was the second man. A whole new generation of people, which we are the body of Christ. That is who we are. You know, I want to read, I like the... I'm, I'm liking it more and more. It's it's really good. The the, the uh, New Living Bible. I want to read Colossians chapter two, and I'm going to start in verse nine. Woo! Thank you, Lord. Whew. I'm going to read starting verse six. Now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down deep into him. Say into him. Let your lives be built in him. Then your faith will grow in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Do you know what? I don't know about you, but coming into the exchange life, really realizing how much he's done for us, and that I had nothing to do with any of it, but I just get to enjoy it. And the peace that comes from that. It makes Christmas such a thankful time of what God did for us so we could enjoy this. It, it just makes you so thankful. You know, when, when Jesus, you know, when Mary was washing his feet with her tears and, and, and Jesus said, he that's forgiven much loves much. When you really see the vision of who we were and what we owed and what he paid to make us free, all you can do is just say, thank you, Lord. 
Verse 8, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spirit powers of the world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are complete through your union, say union, Union. with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not with a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature, for you were buried with him in Christ, and you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to a brand new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God, who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of the sinful nature that was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us, took it out of the way by nailing it to his cross. In that way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moons or feasts. Give me an amen. Amen. Our Sabbaths, for these rulers are only a shadow of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial, worshiping angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. The sinful minds have made them proud. They are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ. He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why keep on following rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about the things that deteriorate as you use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You're free. So stand fast in the liberty and be not again entangled in that yoke. We call that religion. We call that religion. Webster said religion and definition of religion is returning back to bondage. Pretty good definition. The bondage of self-denial. Trying to do it on your own, apart from Christ. Chapter 3. Since you have been raised to this new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. For you died. For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, say, Christ is my life. You have no life apart from Christ. The reality is, saints, you have no life apart from him. Is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly lurkings within you. They're demonic have nothing to do with sexual impurity, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person is an, is an idolater. Worship the things of this world because of the sins and, and anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. When your life was what? 
It was a part of this world. What is that saying? This is who you were. It's not who you are now. But now, it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds, and you have put on. You know, that word put on means to sink into a garment. Oh, man. That's what I feel now, sinking into a garment. (sighs) Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become more like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Now, this is Colossians. Christ is all that matters. He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above everything, clothe yourself with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace which is Christ rule in your hearts. To which you are called into one body. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So let that message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. You know, that's about as good as it gets. That's about as good as it gets. It lets you know your identity and who you really are. Hmm. All right, I'm going to read this one in this version too and see what we got here. Hebrews chapter 7. Okay. Mm-hmm. Verse 12 says, if the priesthood is changed, let's say exchanged. How many of you know exchange is a better word? If the priesthood is exchanged, the law must also be changed to permit it. For the priest was talking about belonging to a different tribe, whose members never served at the altar as priests. What I mean is, our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, and Moses never mentioned priests concerning that tribe. Jesus is like Melchizedek. This exchange has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not merely by physical requirements, but by belonging to the tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. And the psalmist points this out when he prophesied, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Yes, the old requirements about priesthood were set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law never made anything perfect. Say that. The law never made anything perfect. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system, 
was established in a solemn oath. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus, for God said to him, The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are priests forever. Because of this oath, could you catch that? Because of this oath or promise of God. You know, he said because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And you know why this covenant we got today stands? Because he made a covenant with himself. Why? So it couldn't be broken. Anything man has to do with it's going to be broken. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever, once and what? Forever, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. He is the kind of priest we need because he is holy, blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice every day. This he did once for their sins first. This did this. They did this for their own sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all. He offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sin. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has been made perfect as high priest forever. Wow. You talk about security. My Lord. He, he can't. He, it's eternal. And you know what he, he spoke to me? He says, you're living in eternity already. You are in union with eternity already. He that believeth in me shall never die. You're already living in eternity right now. Hebrews 8, 13 says, A new covenant hath he made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of bulls or goats or calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. How long is eternal? It's a long time. He, Hebrews 10, 1 says, For the law, having the shadow of good things and not the very image of the thing, can never with those sacrifices year by year make the, perfect, the, the comers perfect thereunto. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God and you too. For by one offering he hath perfected forever those that are sanctified. Many believe that when Jesus said it's finished, he was talking only about our salvation. I thought that for years. No, there's more to it. When he said it is finished, he was talking about the old covenant being finished. How do I know that? When he said those words, the curtains that sealed off the Holy of Holies from the people in the temple was rent, torn in two from top to bottom. When he said it's finished. Now what what was the Holy of Holies separated? God from man. Okay? Man-made. And you know, Josephus, the historian tells us that curtain was 20 foot high 40 foot across and four inches thick. 
John, wouldn't you like to saw the angel that ripped that in two from top to bottom? I bet it was one of his littlest angels he sent to do that. Probably one in training. From top to bottom. Why not from bottom to top? No. Had to be from top to bottom. There you go. It's not a work of man. It's a work of God. That's why it says, let us come what? Boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For we have not a high priest that's not touched by all of our infirmities, was in all points tempted, just like we, yet without sin. You know, we was talking in that coffee shop. I might as well go ahead with this, hadn't I, John? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, you know, your spirit, your soul, and your body. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he said to the Father, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And Jesus' spirit, when he said it's finished, went to the Father and seated at the right hand of the Father. And you're seated with him already there in heavenly places. But the scripture says his soul went to hell. Come on now. Yeah. Scripture says, Thou will not leave my soul in hell. That's where it was at for three days. Neither will you suffer the Holy One to see corruption. When God said, God made him to be sin, what was it? Not his spirit. His spirit was with the Father. But his soul, it was his soul that was made to be sin. His mind, his will, and emotion. Because that's where all of us live all the time. In this soul. Old or new. You realize that? Every day you live, moment by moment, you're either living in the old thinking or the new thinking. And you can bounce back and forth. But see, Jesus paid a price, so we don't have to go there no more. Because I'm convinced the part of us that was crucified with him was the soul. And why is that? Because that's where the battle is. And you know, the scripture says, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we talked about it. Every place you, you look at that, every place where Jesus said, he that saveth his soul will lose it. That's the word life is soul. It's, it's translated life in the, in the Bible, but it's soul in the Greek. It's his soul that was doing the warfare. And he said that he that saveth his soul will lose it. But he that loses his soul We'll find it. It will be perfected. You have a new one. The soul is the battleground. So what does that mean? Well, how do I... And, and here's the other part. In, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, it says, God shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied because he poured out his soul unto death. And it says, his soul, God said, he poured out his soul. And it says that the soul, he poured out his soul for sin. It pleased God to crush him. Verse 10. I'm kind of having a hard time putting things together here. Please God to crush him to make his soul an offering for sin. So sin was in the soul. 
God shall see the travail of his soul. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when he went down and, you know, he had already said three times, if it be possible, let this pass from me. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Didn't that what he said? So God saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Amen? So why? So he could make an exchange for us to have a new soul. New mind. Because if you're a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away and what? All things become new. And your mind, your old mind is a part of the old soul because it says the natural mind is not subject to God, neither indeed what can it be. So you can't renew something that cannot be renewed. So he gives you a new mind, a new spirit, a new soul, and a new heart. That's why when you understand the exchange, it takes all the stress of trying to be Christians off. I was listening to a song coming to church, and it was talking about, act like you're free. Play like you're free. I said, you don't have to play like you're free. You don't have to act like you're free. Because you are free. Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. It's like, imitate it. Just act like it. And he says, act like you're loved. You don't have to act like you're loved. It's not a game. It's not something we're playing. It's true. The reality of this thing is it's real. It's more real than this building we're in. Oh, well, there's still more there. I did get sidetracked again. But you know, I think it's important for this time of year where we are and to realize that this whole thing's a gift from God. The greatest gift that was ever given to the church was the three wise men saw the value of that gift. They saw the true value of what we have been freely given if only we could have our eyes open to see what we've been freely given to in Christ. And that the Father loves us so much that he did all that so he could have fellowship with us. I'm telling you, the devil's done a number, hasn't he? This whole mess, all the confusion is his doing, not God. Because the gospel is simple. Christ is all and in you all. And in him we live and move and we have our being. In the Greek, it says we are. We just are. So I want to encourage you this Christmas time. Enjoy. Don't let the hassle of all the stuff hinder what you have. Keep the first thing the first thing. Amen? Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Lord, I just ask you to help us see more and more the identity of who you really made all of us. And Lord, we just bind every thought and every spirit that would try to pull us out of our position in you. And Lord, let us see that you're still the head of all principalities and powers. And Lord, you told us to rule and reign while we're here. And we thank you, Lord, for the dominion you gave us back so we could rule and reign in this life. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.